I'm Paul Tucker. I'm the head of growth and new markets for Orange in Australasia. Um, welcome to the Beyond Mindset, which is a series that myself and one of my colleagues, Simon Bryant, where we will bring uh, some really fascinating guests to the table to talk to you uh, about what makes them tick and what they see exciting for the future. So Simon, uh, in, over to you. Thanks, Paul. Um, and it's my pleasure to introduce uh, a friend of, of ours uh, and a business partner, uh, Catherine Caruana McManus, uh, who is the co-founder of Meshed. Catherine, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Love the topic. <laughs> yeah, so before we jump in, I just wanted to give our listeners a view of what the series is about and why we're here uh, and what to expect in the coming weeks. So Simon and I are really on a mission to explore the beyond mindset. And what that means is bringing some really interesting and diverse range of leaders from across the industry to join us to talk about their experiences in IT and how IT has shaped them and how they see IT shaping the future. Um, but more importantly, we're really interested in what uh, sparks our guests' fires and, and what's brought them to this position. And importantly, what the vision for beyond COVID and beyond the time we're in now, um, they see and how the power of resilience and a power, the power of a strong mindset can make a difference in the world. So um, really looking forward to, to sharing their stories and, um, and hope you get a lot out of this series as well. So Simon, over to you. Thank you, Paul. And, and Catherine, as we kind of considering our, who we had invited as, as guests, you were a natural um, nominee in a sense based upon what we were hoping to attend out of all of uh, or address and um, speak to out of all of this. So um, would you mind just giving us a little bit of a context in terms of, of um, who you are, what you do uh, and what uh, Mesh does as a company by way of, of starting us off here? Absolutely, thank you. For, uh, that's a great uh, intro. Um, so I'm a co-founder of Meshed. Um, and we are an Australian uh, business, uh, but we are helping um, not just markets in Australia, but more broadly. Uh, and we are focused on the Internet of Things um, and very much around uh, secure and low-cost data acquisition for insights. Um, and we are very strong in the built environment, infrastructure, environment uh, space. So that includes councils, uh, utilities, uh, major state agencies in agriculture, uh, as well as the um, mining and construction um, sector. And we've been going now for, uh, in terms of what we've, we're doing today, four years. And it's been an absolutely amazing journey um, to leave an organisation like IBM, where I was there for nearly 10 years, uh, to actually starting a technology uh, firm and um, still going strong. So that's pretty amazing. I never never thought that um, this would happen, but it, it has. <laughs> and observing from the outside, I mean, you've kind of gone through cycles of, I mean, there was the you know, almost the boom of, of new technologies, IoT, um, which you you kind of um, created this capability right at at I suppose the 
the peak of that or the emerging peak of that are now being hit by COVID. And we'll talk more about, you know, what that cycle means for you. I know as, as we got to know each other kind of right at the beginning, um, you were certainly going all over the world um, in terms of your role. Uh, what were you seeing and how does Australia stack up in terms of what you see goes on in the world? That's a really great question, um, Simon. I would say that when we started the business, uh, Australia was pretty much nowhere. We were real laggards in looking at the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence and um, certainly in robotics and automation. But I believe very strongly that, um, you know, just in the last probably 18 months, uh, there has been a lot more focus, particularly from governments, about the way in which they can get data, uh, real-time data for informed decision-making. And governments all around the world have the same problem. They've got to do more with less. And they don't also have the internal capability to be able to deliver on customer increasing customer expectations. So um, I think that uh, as a market, we, when we started Meshed, uh, particularly coming out of a global organization such as IBM, people said to me, Kath, you know, you could have started this in, in the US or Europe, but I felt very strongly that the opportunity was significant here. And um, I'm glad that I, um, that that's actually been the case um, because the market here is a really great market. It's unique. Uh, and I think as an Australian organisation, we can bring a flavour uh, to that, working with international partners such as yourselves uh, to build out something that I think is repeatable and definitely export uh, worthy to take uh, overseas as well. That's great. I, you know, when I introduce you or talk about um, you and your capability to uh, to other folks, I often refer to you, Catherine, being IoT royalty or one of IoT royalty in Australia. So appreciate the fact that you've you've taken that step. Uh, I think you've certainly um, you and Mesh have certainly influenced the market significantly so far, and excited about what lies ahead of you. What what gets you up? You think about your role as a co-founder of Mesh. What gets you up in the morning? You know, what's uh, what's the thing that excites you? What's your you know your passion lights your fires? What, Oh, look, I, I love working with customers. I've always, um, even though I started my career in the back office, I actually um, started very much doing a lot of analytics and uh, back office uh, roles. But um, pretty much very early in my career, I just love working with people and I'm very passionate about customers. Um, for me, there's probably two things I'm very passionate about. I'm passionate about embedding data into the physical world using the latest digital capability, because I believe that this convergence between the physical and the digital world is happening. And, and certainly when we look at major you know, systems and networks that run cities and run industries, uh, certainly having a digital uh, capability, data-driven capability is, is something that's very powerful. I'm also passionate about sustainability. And um, that is such a, a crazy word because it, it can mean so many things. So sustainable business models, you know, looking and listening to the market. And I've got a good example of that. When we launched Meshed, our model was very different. People were a bit confused about how we launched Meshed as a systems integrator, not as a telecommunications model or a traditional telco model. Um, but we were fairly confident that um, 
there is an opportunity to have different sustainable business models. So that, that's an area that I'm very passionate about. And so when I get up in the morning, I really enjoy the challenge of, of engaging in conversations about why different models exist and how they can coexist. Um, and just passionate about sustainability in terms of really being um, efficient with resources and then helping cities and communities uh, to benefit from that so that they can, um, you know, enjoy where they live and work, but also, you know, councils and, and utilities can deliver uh, the services that people expect and sometimes actually take for granted. And I, you know, listening to you speak, I'm aware that um, there'll obviously have been um, formative influences or people in your life, you know, a vision and a passion like you have, and you're, and you're obviously visibly demonstrating, and as you speak to us now, comes from somewhere. Uh, is there a, you know, kind of a human experience that, that you've had uh, in your, your formative years that have, have shaped who you are today in these passions? Oh, most definitely my family, uh, both my mother and my father and also my grandparents. Um, my dad was an, is an engineer or was an engineer and my mother was a um, oh, someone who worked in labs. So she was kind of like a research scientist or a, a lab technician. She, she worked in that sort of space. And um, they were both very interested in data and facts. And so... Um, as a family, we read a lot, um, you know, we were challenged a lot around thinking about things differently. So the passion for data, I think, certainly came um, from my, my family's influence. The sustainability piece also came from, particularly from my father. He just didn't tolerate waste, you know, and, and this, um, I think, our parents' era, they'd come out of the Second World War. In fact, my father was in Egypt at the time of the Second World War. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he's got really vivid stories of being a young boy playing soccer with, you know, um, the troops that were there. And, and I think just that whole mindset of, of, of that generation of our parents coming out from that era very strong focus on reuse and um, just doing the best you can with what you had. So I think that's probably something that very much formed my thinking. And also um, being connected with nature. Hmm. So um, we were always excited about going to the beach or going to the lake or going um, to the bush and even though my mother is actually uh, Australian originally from far north Queensland but my father has a, a very mixed European experience um, yet he just loved the Australian bush and um, so that was really wonderful that as um, as a family we, we we'd go on picnics and things like that so yeah I think that pretty much sums it up the sustainability piece is, is fascinating uh, to me, Catherine, and, and I think the, the piece I'm interested in exploring a bit further with you is the opportunity you see with councils for, for that um, expansion, but also just maximising what's available. I think um, I'm, I'm interested in your views there. Well, I think um, what's really becoming very prevalent, despite what our governments uh, will tell us, the reality is that I think everybody understands that we live in a limited resource world. Mm. Resources are finite. And I think that that is really at the core of it. So 
we've either got to use what we've been gifted more efficiently and responsibly, or we go down a path where uh, there's going to be externalities. And I think that's just a reality. So when we look at councils in particular, because we have so many council customers, one of the really exciting things that's coming out of the, the, um, the local government services area is the circular economy, understanding um, how uh, waste can actually be repurposed, but also even down to the detail of understanding what is actually in the bin that's put out in the street by people, you know, and what's the composition of that. And so councils in Australia have done a brilliant job of getting people to understand recycling. I think we're not very good then at what do we deal with that huge amount of waste and, and this bigger picture here, which is all around sustainability and the circular economy. But that's something where the internet of things and analytics can really help councils to understand what's in their system and how do they manage waste. And I think that's something that's um, very relevant. And then, of course, what we've seen right now with COVID-19 is that any, any organisation that's having to provide public infrastructure, whether it be a place or a service, they've really had to focus around social distancing and hygiene. So again, things like proximity sensing, uh, which you can you know, use the internet of things and data to help you know, just the safety and security of, of, of staff, as well as um, ensuring that the places that we go to um, you know, are, are hygienic and are you know, encouraging social distancing. Again, there's just some little elements there that um, are, are definitely top of mind to a lot of our customers at the moment. You've picked up uh, on a lot of themes there, Catherine. I'd like to kind of drill down into a few of them and, and kind of take take back to kind of where you started, I suppose, and, and where Paul was kind of um, going in terms of sustainability. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, waste. I'm thinking about an experience that I had a couple of months ago, um, driving along um, the streets of my suburb and seeing mountains of hard waste. Oh, yeah. I've never seen before. Uh, and it's almost as if people staying at home were just clearing out every single nook and cranny of the house and putting it onto the street, uh, onto the uh, the nature strips. Um, what are you seeing? What are councils? What's uh, what you know? What is what's going on for councils uh, and cities as far as waste is concerned at the moment, and that we may not see uh, kind of going on behind the scenes. Well, um, it's interesting. There's, there's different levels of investment around how uh, local councils are dealing with it. Um, but I can assure you it's certainly top of mind uh, because they are still responsible very much largely for uh, providing that service. Um, there's some really great examples. Um, there's a council in, here in, um, in the Sydney metro area where they've put... Um, very advanced uh, image rec recognition technology onto their waste trucks. And they're actually able to identify the nature of the waste, but also to uh, catch out people who are not being very truthful about uh, their waste collection. People are putting bins out, uh, it's been collected by the rubbish truck, and then they're taking it back in, filling it up and putting it out again. And they're reporting to the council that the bin wasn't collected. Now with this information, um, in a very non-intrusive way, they're actually able to verify whether there was a car obstructing the pickup or whether or not the bin was actually picked up. 
And by using that information, they're helping the community on a massive education campaign so that they're doing this in a really nice way to say, look, actually, we've got this information to say that your bin was actually picked up. You know, are you having a problem with recycling or sorting your waste? You know, how can we help you reduce the amount of waste? And I think that's a really positive capability. Um, and I, I suppose where I would like to see more leadership is that when we look at it from the perspective of um, where the pressure point is. The pressure point is at the council and at the residential community. But I think as a society at large, we've really got to embrace the circular economy. We've got to think about why just the, the level of consumption and also the way in which we're consuming products, because I think we can go a long way to repurposing a lot of uh, materials and, and looking at it holistically. And again, I think that's where if you've got systems where you're able to see um, the volumes, uh, the materials, um, you know, the environments to which that waste is operating, that then helps inform, um, you know, the ability for new markets. And, if, you know, if you want to know, you know, something else that I'm very passionate about, I'm a true believer that as a nation in Australia, we can be a powerhouse in renewable energy and the circular economy. We have all of the raw materials. We've got very high intellectual capacity. We've got workforce engaged um, and we have innovation. So I've, I'm very optimistic about the future that there will be more jobs created if we invest in these areas of, of you know, renewables and the circular economy. Mm. Because we have a captive audience of over 500 councils in Australia who would love to consume that innovation. And I think what's really interesting about that for me as well is the examples you've given and shared aren't significant from an investment perspective, financial investment perspective in, in the technology component. It's, it's the being able to use that for decision-making, the data and the insights for decision-making to make sustainable change is the real lever that we need to find a way to pull and pull more broadly across across the, the council ecosystem. So I think that's fascinating, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. and, and the way we're able to do that, so just recently, uh, MESHT um, has been, we, we developed a piece of technology ourselves um, in partnership with uh, Liverpool City Council about two years ago. It's a, it's a people counting um, technology. It's very accurate. It's now very popular. It's being used by over 30 councils in Australia. Um, what we've been doing uh, with the COVID-19 situation is we've developed a pedestrian index to understand the impact of something like COVID-19 on communities. Uh, and this is going down to the street level, seeing the, you know, the drop off of activity at the street level, which has a, a negative flow on effect, particularly with regards to traders, um, councils, for example, can't run their events. They can't hire out the venues that they used to get, you know, revenue from. Um, and, you know, we can, we can also map that information uh, with other data. So there, there's other data that pertains to, for example, you know, council pickups and, you know, street, street bins and things like that. So you start to, with the Internet of Things and with data, you can actually, instead of looking at it as a siloed issue of, you know, here is a waste problem, uh, when we take it out to the street, we can also identify you know, what are the areas that are most affected by waste? And is there a correlation, therefore, obviously, with pedestrian traffic and, you know, a pedestrian flow that, that lends itself to that? 
And then, you know, you help the council to respond to that in a very timely manner to then to ensure that that area that's, you know, obviously experiencing an excessive, you know, use of, of waste, they can then respond to that accordingly. So there's some really, I think, neat ways in which um, the Internet of Things and, and the use of data in smart cities uh, can help, um, you know, cities and, and waste organisations respond to this crisis of COVID-19. This pedestrian in index um, sounds like a really exciting opportunity, Catherine, not only in the way that you've described, but it, I mean, it seems to be, I'm thinking around um, the facilities um, that would be used uh, by people before COVID, during COVID and after COVID um, would obviously benefit um, from having an understanding of the patterns of, of usage in a real time, but also historically. Have you seen that being used in that way or do you see that being used in, in that way? Simon, that's exactly the reason why we initiated the pedestrian, the COVID-19 pedestrian index. We believe we're one of the first in the world to actually look, look into pedestrian counting as like the heartbeat of, um, you know, the impact on local communities. Um, so the intention of it was to, um, you know, enable the councils who have, you know, who are using this encounter people counting um, data to see the, the impact on their community, but also to come up with some recommendations for what we're calling actions for recovery. Let me give you some great examples. So um, in Perth, um, Fremantle, the city of Fremantle have created parklets. Parklets are spaces in car parks where they've um, removed a car park and they've put in a, a, you know, an outdoor eating or a nice green space uh, in a car park um, or in a street park, car parking space. Um, they've used pedestrian flow data so that they can understand where's the best place to put a parklet because they're trying to also provide more distributed space to deal with things like social distancing. So if you have, you know, if you can only have X amount of people in a certain area and you need a bigger space, well, why not consume a car park uh, which can be that space. So there's just one example. And, and why is that important? It's really important to cities that they continue to have people out on the streets engaging with business, engaging with their facilities, because that's what we consider the pulse and, and life of the city. Um, it's good for people's, you know, social well-being, for them to be able to congregate in spaces that are, you know, safe. And so, you know, again, I think it's, we, we really don't know where this um, particular project is going to go, but the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive and we're happy to share the insights, um, you know, with councils more generally about, you know, now that they're coming out of COVID-19 and we really feel for the, our Victorian cousins, we're praying every day that you guys will get there and because we can then all move forward, right? So if we can, in our small little way, provide data-driven decision-making to help recovery. That's where we see our role in terms of great technology for smart cities. And do you see, like, what would you say are the major hurdles and barriers to, to getting to that place where um, we've got that data more accessible to more people, more decisions and more insights are being made at a local government level. What's the what's the major hurdle or major couple of hurdles that you see there? Mindset. 
It really is the major hurdle. Yeah. You know, the technology is there. The, the functionality is there. It's the mindset. It's, it's kind of a combination of mindset and education, just being open and aware that there is this possibility that you can get this data. Um, for someone who actually started my career off in local government a long, long time ago, um, I, I was driven from a, from a young point in my career about technology and data, and that's what I moved out of local government very early on to go and work with, you know, with the largest telco in the country. They needed an, an urban planner to help them do the planning and provisioning for their new networks they were deploying. Um, and what I've actually found over a career that spanned many years is it really is people's openness uh, to thinking that this is actually possible. Um, and then I suppose in the government context, their challenge is risk. You, you have to have mitigated risk. So innovation is, is a bit of a struggle, particularly in the government sector where they can't afford to take on risk. So again, it's, it's about working with them and being very patient and, and proving to them and showing them the data points so that then they're comfortable that there is no risk involved in engaging in new technology. Um, and, and I think, you know, we, we're in the commercial mindset, right? We, we, we both, we're all working in a, in a commercial uh, environment. We, we have to think um, a little bit differently when we're dealing with government and, and organisations delivering to government, such as the major infrastructure organisations. They're all about managing risk. Um, so I, I think it's, it's more about the mindset of being open uh, to to realizing that this this actually can help them. And Catherine, coming back to um, I wanted I wanted to sort of touch on mindset again in a moment. Um, thinking about an earlier comment that you made around five hundred councils and, and a captive audience. Uh, I know that um, you also deal with some fairly remote um, councils and communities, or you get the opportunity to do that. Um, thinking about um, data technology and what we can do. And of course, it sounds like it's all big city stuff, um, big smoke kind of things and can't necessarily touch or make a difference to the reality in remote communities. But I'm guessing that that's not the case. Have you uh, talked to us a little bit about how you're seeing this work and make a difference in, in remote rural communities? Oh, I'd love to. We're, we're doing an amazing project right now. It's in New Zealand in the beautiful Marlborough Sounds. I don't know if you've heard of the Marlborough Sounds, but it's where the majority of Sauvignon Blanc is probably made in the world. It is a beautiful part of the world. But where the wine area is, that's actually quite peri-urban. That's what I would consider rural, regional. The project that we've been delivering has been in the really outer reaches of the sound. So this is in places like Crowell Bay, only accessible by watercraft. Um, and what we're doing there is we've um, deployed a LoRaWAN, a low-powered, long-range um, radio frequency, uh, Internet of Things data network for the local mussel farm farmers and the king salmon farmers. And we've um, attached environmental water environmental sensors to the network. Um, and the reason why we're doing this is that the Marlborough Sounds, like many coastal areas around the world, are very vulnerable to climate change. Um, the impact is very severe. They, in order for the king's salmon to spawn, 
the water temperature cannot go over 18 degrees. Mm. Uh, so, you know, monitoring uh, the water temperature is absolutely critical to, to that region. And that has a flow on effect for jobs because um, I've been out to the big mothership. They call it the mothership. It's this massing, massive floating structure that's out there in the middle of nowhere in this beautiful remote, you know, um, uh, Marlborough Sounds, um, you know, uh, area and in the middle of the water. And it's this very, very large structure. It's about, seriously, it's about the size of a three-story building. It's, it's huge. And its whole purpose there is to feed the, um, the fish, you know, to, to produce and, and support that. You know, that, that one structure employs, you know, probably 20 to 30 people. And so, you know, you, you think about that, that is at the, at the cusp of, you know, bringing data, sustainability, you know, a sense of purpose around the projects that we can deliver. And I think that's something that, you know, we at Meshed are very proud of that we've, we're able to um, help uh, councils and, and state environmental departments uh, with very practical ways in which uh, they can get the data that they need so that we can actually preserve um, industries which are really, really critical to that region. That's just one example, but that's the sort of thing that we love doing and um, what makes me get out of bed every morning. <laughs> what a beautiful place to be in. Huh? Catherine, you, um, you talked about mindset earlier on. Um, perhaps kind of wrapping up um, this part of our conversation before we transition into another, another part in, in uh, what we call the, the famous three questions. Um, mindset, is there a, a council, a community, a city that for you stands out as inspirational uh, in terms of, of vision, purpose, mindset and execution? Um, and if there is, could you kind of tell us a little bit about them? The hallmarks of uh, positive mindset or this, this mindset of, of openness are, um, I will say one thing for sure, despite what you know, people may think, um, people who work in government do actually have a very strong sense of purpose. Um, it really has encouraged me and a really, um, you know, I've just been constantly inspired by uh, many people over many years that I've worked in, the, in these roles. And I think that um, there is a strong sense of community engagement and wanting to support a community for something that is greater than themselves. And I think what I see a lot in, in government uh, and, and utilities, I'll, I'll put utilities, so water utilities, government, local government into the same, at state agriculture departments, research, because we do a lot of work with universities, there is this very strong camaraderie around a team. You know, people seem kind of a bit selfless about the way that they go about their business. And, and I think there's a very strong um, understanding of common purpose. And in terms of leadership, it's those leaders that are able to really uh, bring that together um, because it is very very difficult to get projects off the ground in the mm. government sector because of this risks, because of budget, a whole lot of things. So what I see um, are some serious trailblazers. Um, so Catherine, to close out, we've got, um, I guess, three questions that we'll be asking every guest. Um, and it, it may be hard to limit your answer to, to one thing, but what in the next 
sort of six to 18 months, what's the main business outcome that you are looking to achieve where you can look back on that 18 months and go, you know what, that was a, that was a big deal that I managed to have, have an impact over um, for your business and for the market that you serve? That's a great question. Um, so for us in the next 18 months, uh, it is very much focused around um, deploying more uh, private networks, but also leveraging infrastructure that could be optimised. And hence the reason why we're investing in um, the ability to have, um, you know, shared networks, peering networks and, and things along those lines. Um, we also are uh, very much looking at the making sense of the data. So we've been very focused around the network and the devices, which is great, but we're building some really fantastic partnerships uh, with some global third parties, which we think is going to be terrific for us to be able to um, provide more of an end-to-end -end solution. Um, so yeah, that's what we're very focused on and um, hopefully it's going to you know, the next 18 months are going to be better than the last six months that everybody's gone through. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that won't be too hard, but um, I'm sure you've got some stretch goals to, to, to get beyond. Yeah. Um, and you may have answered it already with your commentary around the, the technology that you've patented and that you're looking to, to exploit. Um, but beyond the, the sort of six to 18 month period, what's the technology that excites you most for, for your industry that, that you think can have a real impact? Um, in the markets that you serve? I, I definitely think artificial intelligence and, um, and machine learning are, um, it's kind of like the hype curve. I don't believe, unfortunately, I think a lot of the examples around AI and ML aren't really that positive. Um, people you know, are bombarded with you know, more advertising and things like that. So I'd like to see those technologies being used where they are, in, they are improving our city networks, our infrastructure networks, you know, and, and all of that. I think that's really important. I think there's going to be a huge opportunity in the, what I call the new energy economy. And that ranges from renewables, circular economy. I think that there's certainly waste management. I think there's a lot of uh, great opportunities there. The third one is water. And I would actually probably put water at the top because I think water, we are, struggling because water is such a limited resource and we haven't as you know as a nation we really i don't think have um any single answer because i don't believe there is one so i think when we look at technologies and the way in which internet of things and data can really help an industry and a society at large intelligent water management i think is also really exciting and, and a great opportunity could you give us just a little sort of insight or window in terms of what you see in terms of intelligent water management, Catherine, and how you might apply the technologies and um, the infrastructure you've spoke, spoken of to that? Certainly. I'll give you one example right now. We're helping um, a very large regional water authority um, with uh, monitoring their reservoirs and their assets. And this has become really critical because uh, with droughts and with bushfires, you've got to know what's in your system. You've also got to service that water to the community. So, you know, putting um, smart sensors on assets, using the ability of secure protocols for data transfer, and then feeding that into predictive analytics, I think that is uh, a really uh, 
uh, great use of this technology. Another example is um, when we're talking about water quality, we're helping, for example, the oyster farmers down in Batemans Bay with um, understanding, you know, the tidal impact on their, their estuaries, which, which really does therefore affect the quality of their oysters and, and things like that. So there's just two examples in the water space. One's very much driven from a utility, the other one's driven from industry, the way in which, you know, sensors and data can, can help uh, with a positive outcome for those, those two areas. And just uh, the closing question uh, for you, Catherine, um, interested in who you see as a leading light in business today that, um, and again, might be hard to limit to one, but, but either an organisation or a, a, a set of individuals that, that inspire you and, and that you're seeing do incredible things or on the verge of incredible things. Um, that, that, that's that a great yeah. question and I've thought about this. So I'm going to put forward three only because two of them are actually together. So first of all, I'd, I'd really, I just think Johan Stoking and Vinky Geiselman, the co-founders of the Things Network and the Things Industries, they are just so inspirational. What they've done in Internet of Things um, is truly incredible. Um, you know, they've, they've been able to build an open source, you know, decentralized data network, which is now the largest in the world. And just their thinking around where this technology could go, uh, I think is really quite amazing. And we're really fortunate we've been sort of involved with them. But as a standout Australian, I'd like to put forward Michael Cannon-Brooks. I I've, I've, have followed Michael since his early days when he was um, actually using part of an IBM sort of startup space in Piermont. But I think I love about Michael is that he's so passionate about the facts, about sustainability and about a future world. And I think that, you know, he's done extremely well with Atlassian, but he's also open to... Um, you know, sharing his knowledge and, you know, um, just, I think, being very uh, influential and positive about how we can do things differently. And he is, a, I think, a person of his word. So there you go. There's, that's my view. Yeah, that's a great answer. I, I absolutely agree with you on, on Michael Cannon-Brooks. I think what, what a... What an individual that is certainly trying to change the world, but trying to change the world in the right way. So, um, yeah, very inspirational. Catherine, this has uh, been a brilliant time with you. Uh, you know, if I think back where we started this conversation together, kind of in a real sense of, of you know, a values-driven, uh, I suppose, upbringing um, that created in you a, a desire and a passion, one word that has come up constantly as sustainability and just seeing how that that um, value centered um, nurture has has carried you through through your career and is influencing what you do now um, and the decisions that you're making um, and the relationships that you're building and the way that you're influencing the leverage of of data and technology to to fulfill um, that which is an essential part of you. Isn't that a wonderful thing that one can bring those together uh, in, in, in what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? How exciting is that? Thank you so much. This has been a great, a great time. Appreciate you Thank joining. You.
thank you for the opportunity. It's been a delight. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing from others when, this, when you finish the blog. So keep me posted. It's very exciting. Great topic. Absolutely. And well summarised, Simon. I mean, Catherine, thank you so much. That was uh, very enjoyable, as we knew it would be. Um, and hopefully for all the people that uh, listen or watch this as it's released, um, you get on board and follow the great work that Meshed are doing. Uh, but also, um, there's some exciting things going together with our partnership that I'm sure we'll be talking about more publicly soon. So thank you very much. Um, and thanks to everybody for listening to the Beyond, Pod, uh, the Beyond Mindset podcast. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll no doubt catch up soon over the coming weeks. So thanks again, Catherine. My pleasure. Thank you.